Hello and welcome to the podcast for episode 205 of season 2 Outlander. I'm Ronald D. Moore, developer and executive producer of the Outlander television series, and I'm joined once again by the lovely and talented Terry Dresbach. Say hello, Terry. You sound like a game show. And now, behind curtain number one, is Terry Dresbach. Hello. Also here, silently visiting our Oliver and Ella the cats. Sort of silently. Sort of silently. The purring you hear is... And that. Did you hear? Various squawks. Uh, 205, uh, Untimely Resurrection. Well, uh, in the scheme of things, we always knew that, uh, pretty much we always knew that episode 204 was going to be the dinner parties. We were breaking uh, the season in general. But there was a a point where, I think I talked about this last week, that uh, the dinner party was going to include King James, uh, Prince Charlie's father. And in that scenario, there was a version where the dinner party kind of bled over into episode 205, and there was actually a follow-up scene with uh, King James dealing with sort of the aftermath of, you know, uh, what he thought about his son after the, the events of the dinner party. So the dinner party did kind of move back and forth between 204, 205 a little bit. But by and large, we always kind of said 204 was the dinner party, 205 was going to be the aftermath, and that the big event of 205, obviously, was the return of uh, Black Jack Randall. Who embroidered that? The blanket? That feels suspiciously like something we might have done. Oh, I'm sure it was done by... No one. By someone in the art department, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure they're embroidering. Uh, Great little opening sequence here. Uh, Director Doug sort of put together, you know, tracking through the apartment. Gives you a real sense of how the apartment, it really is one continuous set on our sound stages in in Scotland. Uh, There was a whole little bit here that got cut for time. Even though this this uh, show is uh, <laughs> under time compared, bless you. Even though this script is uh, this episode is under time compared to some of the other uh, episodes this season, the episode kept feeling long in the cut. And so when we were uh, editing the show in post production, we kept feeling myself and the studio on the network kept feeling that the show was dragging, and so we kept looking for cuts. And unfortunately, one of the cuts that 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 went was this. There was a scene. Uh, right here where uh, before Jamie came in that had Fergus brushing Claire's hair that was sort of taken from the book and it was a nice little scene where Fergus is brushing her hair to sort of take her mind off of her worries and during that scene Fergus starts talking about sort of his life and growing up in the brothel and you got a little bit more of his backstory and it was a lovely little scene but opening the show it just there was a, a sort of deadly quality to the opening minutes of the show where just nothing happened for a very long period of time and it was all in the apartment and so ultimately that scene got cut you like to talk about the ba- the robe I believe didn't we do the robe already well we've seen it once but this is really well hopefully I get to see it from the back which is what I want everyone to see because you really get to see how it's constructed um, as I've said before they didn't really have robes like this, but our executive producer really insisted on it, um, so we tried to give it structurally as much of an 18th century feel as we possibly could. You guys hear me talk a lot about how, you know, sometimes you just have to do things that because other people want you to, and it's not always, you know, you can argue until the cows come home that they didn't have that, but, you know. Yeah, it's not always accurate, because always that's... That's part of. He uh, needed it. So. That's part of my job as sort of the the showrunner to sort of decide what, when you vary from the historical reality and when you don't. And for dra- dramatic needs, you kind of want Claire dressed in 
something that reads to the audience as casual, intimate, and sort of what's, what's the equivalent to the audience of a nightgown or a bathrobe or something like that, because it kind of visually cues the audience emotionally into what's going on in the scene. Which, to be fair, is something that we, you have to do. You, have, you do have to take what the audience is used to seeing and the assumptions that they make and, and, and allow them to have those and then to move on. Yeah, I mean, you do that all the time. There's all kinds of things that you know, we opt not to do, even though they're historically accurate. For instance, we don't show them literally emptying chamber pots into the streets of Paris, which is something that they actually did for many, many years and, you know, in all the major cities of the world. But that sets a slightly different tone than what we're going for, so you decide, I decide, okay, we're not going to watch them empty chamber pots into the streets. We're not going to have one over in the corner. Or, and we're not going to have one over in the corner. Either. Only for the king. Just for the king, because he has a special chamber pot. Yeah, I don't think she's going to stand up. But you can go to my blog, terrydressback.com, and I'll show you what it looks like. <laughs> Her robe. Her robe, yeah. Is this well, the only do... scene that we see the robe? Uh, I don't remember, you know, I don't remember what scenes. Well, it, yeah, we always, I always mention that, you know, I do these podcasts many, many moons after the, oh, the, the production of the show, so it's always us sitting here trying to sort of recollect why we did certain what it's named. Well, and plus yeah. the way you know the the way it is for us is that when we're shooting this, we're already four episodes down the road. So you know we we picked out these we've made these costumes months earlier, and um, we're in some new form of hell. I don't really even know what episode this is. Uh, this whole thing for, uh, of La Dame Blanche is, uh, of course, uh, taken directly from the book. I think in the book's version of events, uh, Jamie talked to her about La Dame Blanche the night of the dinner party while they were upstairs. And there was a version of the script, actually pretty late in the game, where that happened on the night of the dinner party too. But I think we felt that it slowed down the action and you needed to keep a sense of urgency. And we didn't want to sort of stop everything that was happening at the backstage at the dinner party to sort of go through the whole thing of La Dame Blanche. So it, it sort of floated around between the two episodes a couple times before it finally ended up in, in 205. Lots of talk in the writer's room about how that worked and who he said it to and, you know, what the trail would be and whether Murtaugh would go to the, to the brothel and... You know, there was a lot of just sort of trying to stretch, uh, stroke through the, the various beats of nope. the La Dame Blanche story. That's that. So much for the robe. Yes. 30,000 hours of painting. Well, I think you saw it much earlier in the show, but you were on your computer at that point. I no, I actually wasn't. This is a clever little set. This is actually a set uh, on our sound stages in Scotland. Uh, and there's, this is, uh, the Jamie's office is sort of a redress, I believe, of... Of the, inn, of the inn that they stayed at in Le Havre in episode 201. And there's really no warehouse out there. You see the, the, you see the barrels, but it's kind of an illusion. There's just a bunch of barrels. There's no real walls out there. There's no ceiling piece, obviously. And there's just one far distant uh, uh, wall of barrels there to give you a sense of depth. It's a very clever design by uh, Gary Steele, a production designer. He always does this. A, He's really, really, as I said before, brilliant at making one set be another. Yeah, it was this really is... remarkable to walk down here and go, oh my God, it's a whole new room. And when we were setting up the show originally, or the season originally, I should say, uh, the Jamie's office at the warehouse for a while we thought was going to be one of our major sets. We thought that as we built out Jamie's story in the Paris storyline, that 
you know, you would be going to to going with him to work over and over again as he sort of went and took care of Jared's wine business and dealt with various crises down there and had to juggle that and and, and the the plot with Prince Charles. Turned out this was the only time we ever went there. But that, you know, at the beginning we thought that this was gonna be a place you went to over and over again. Uh, this scene with Murtaugh is also you know, drawn from the, largely from the book. In the book, it was also back at the Claire and Jamie's apartment. Uh, I think we felt that in this episode, it was starting to get a little claustrophobic in Claire and Jamie's apartment. Like, there was so much that was playing out there that we felt like we had to get out of it. We had to have a break. We had to get a little bit of air and go someplace else. So the scene moved to the wine warehouse. <laughs> Excuse me. As opposed to uh, the apartment. I've been in L.A. Point. too long. My asthma's acting up. <clears throat> That shirt came out really well for Sam. We really changed the fabric when we went to Paris. Gave it more drape and less poof. You know, there's been a lot of people asking me about the kilt and what's the significance of when and how he wears it. And really, it, you know, there, there is, is, there's, there's no deep hidden meaning in where we put it. We always knew that we wanted Sam to go in and out, for Jamie to go in and out of his kilt. And it's just a question of what scene is the most appropriate. Uh, that quick little exterior there of uh, um, Mary's uh, house in Paris is actually in Prague, once again. And then we're back on our sound stages in Scotland. This is another redress. I think this is a redress of Louise's. If I don't remember. I think this is Louise's. Um, this is a great, great suit Claire has on. You know, once again, I really wanted to hit home the idea that 18th century, 21st century, this is an 18th century riding suit. Um, and it, it just shows you how close the two designs are. So that, that Claire really wouldn't have seemed terribly out of place walking around in this costume. A little daring, but, but maybe daring is a good word for what she would have been. You think that's daring? Yeah, it was a little daring. It, 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 you know, she's wearing a little out of context. She's making it her own. Um, this is the beginning of suits for women, by the way. In the 19th century, women wore suits in, in very, very commonly. This is the beginning of that. Hmm. Early, uh, early woman suit. Um, it's not that different than the Dior, really. But it's lovely because we've seen this before with a blue stock and a different hat. So we also really wanted to hit home the idea that, that they would change the accessories, but it's pretty much the same. I believe this little capelet of Mary's was a tablecloth that we repurposed. Really? Yeah, it's I'm pretty sure. It's a tablecloth? Sure. Yeah, I think, I think that was it. We repurposed something. But we put that little cap on her, which was great. We yeah, love, love the cap. Love, love, love those little caps, but we don't really put them on you know, our leads because, well... You get pushback for those kinds of things. I know Ron will say he doesn't, but... No, we don't. Um, but, because they're not... Well, you know, to this point, again, to a modern audience, they're just not at all sexy. And, of course, Mary's not supposed to look sexy here. But um, it, those things distract. When you, when you see a woman in the middle of the daytime in a, in a, in a day dress and she's got that little, little linen cap on, it... it it takes the audience out of what they're accustomed to seeing. Mm -hmm. it, you do have to play those things carefully. 
Yeah, you're, you, it, it's it's like that across the board. I mean, Claire could be wearing one of those right now. It would be totally appropriate for Claire to be sitting there in her, you know, with one of those little caps on mm -hmm. in the daytime. But I think the audience would say, "Why is she wearing her night clothes?" And, yeah, and you I have mean, to be you have to be very aware of what modern perceptions are, so you don't distract them. Well, that that goes across the board in certain set design, costume, and even dialogue and how you play the scenes, you know, you're, you're trying to be true to the period as you can, but things that, gr that startle the audience or, 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 you know, take their attention off the story are to be avoided because you are trying to just immerse them in the tale. And sometimes you have to bend the rules and sometimes you have to, you know, bend the historical reality because you're trying not to take them out of the story and make them go, what? What is that? But I think, look at that little brooch we made for her. That's peacock feathers. And then we, we trimmed her hat with a band of peacock feathers. I think she's wearing I can't a believe you use anything with peacocks oh on the Oh, God, shirt. it's peacocks. Peacocks. Yeah, there's peacocks right there. Yeah, we, we, we are tortured by peacocks in our lives. They jump on our neighbor's roof and our dog barks his ass off at them. We have a herd of peacocks. I hate peacocks. Yes, we both do. Yeah, so you can see the peacock band up there. It's a lovely... Love it away. We were. It's another one of those moments where we're like, ah, how do we do with this costume? We got to make it be something else. Great look at the apartment there when she first walked in. Where the we will always are. struggle with light on this. You'll just always struggle with it because look at you can't. That's black lace, but you can't. It just looks like. Solid black because it's just because you're you're lighting on firelight and candle. fighting with candlelight. It's so difficult. It's this really little, difficult. This little bit of uh, this scene here of uh, Charlie coming to the wine uh, warehouse is actually this was one scene that we got carved up in editorial later. It was originally written and filmed as one continuous scene where Murtaugh was in there with Jamie and then Charlie came in and Murtaugh left. And in editing, it felt like the scene in uh, the, the office was way too long. It just went on and on and on. So we carved it up and intercut it with the Claire beats. This whole show actually went through a lot of restructuring, both on the page and in editorial. It's just one of those, there's always those episodes that somehow you never quite are able to get into focus until pretty late in the game. And this is one of them. Richard Kahan, who, uh, who wrote this episode, it's one of our assistants. This was his first script. Uh, Richard did a great job on this. You know, I, I think he, 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 took, he tackled really difficult material and carried it off for, uh, very well. Richard's a fan of the books and knows the, the, the source material backwards and forwards. But unfortunately, it's just one of those shows that, you know, from the word go, you just kept changing and changing and changing. Whether so it was, you guys just rest you guys all go in and restructure? Yeah, it's yeah. a variety of things. There was restructuring in the room. There was just rewriting, and then there was. Uh, editorial, so you were just constantly reworking it. Whether it was King James going in and out of the right. script, you know, reworking the, the the wine caper that we referred to, you know, all this stuff with the wine and financing of the Jacobite Rebellion was something that was just reworked endlessly in the writers' room to make it work in the television show. Again, it's not a criticism of the book, because in the book it's just it's operating on a different rhythm and a different sort of scale. And when you're reading it, it's just it's taking you on a different journey. And when you're translating that to uh, the visual medium and you're translating it into the, an episodic television series, 
the, the wine caper has to sort of carry plot in a different way. And so we had to sort of bend it into shape so that it, it was a little bit more dramatic in, in the show. And it would just tortured us, like trying to make sense of the financing of the Jacobite Rebellion and where Charlie thought he was versus what Jamie was trying to undermine and how the Count St. Germain figured, figured into all this. And it was, it was just wildly complicated. And as a result, the script went through endless revisions. And then editorially, we just kept screwing around with it over and over again. It was just one of those shows. It just happens every season. And everybody season. loved it, so it worked out. Um, before we cut, this is, an, this is a beautiful costume. This was done by Nadine Powell, my assistant designer. She did a really fine job with this costume. And Charlie's costume? Yeah. And it's now going to be off screen, isn't it? Uh, so, oh, yeah, it's still there. Um, uh, it's nice. This is Charlie being simple. Notice he's not wearing pink or lavender or anything fabulous. It's very elegant. This is a very elegant costume. We tried to be low key for once. Uh, I think it was. It's quite beautiful. And I and I think it gives us another side of Charlie. You know, we've seen him be the fop, and he's certainly not somber. But but it's it's a it's an elegant look for him. Yeah, he does seem a little more understated than usual. Is that because at this point in the story you decided he was had taken a setback? No, back? probably not. <laughs> it's probably because we've <laughs> run out of colors. Um, I mean, it really, it sometimes it gets that way. It's like, oh my God, what color has he not worn yet? Uh, okay, let's put him in gold. It, it really, when you're making as many costumes as we did, I would love to say that we thought things through to the degree that it would be really nice if we did, but there's just not enough time. I think we, I think we literally had hit every color on the face of the earth for him. So what color is that? Mustard? It's like gold. It's a gold? It's sort of a gold. It's a, a, almost like a, yeah, like a toasted marshmallow. <laughs> a toasted marshmallow. <laughs> Look at it. It's beautiful. And then, you know, things like that trim, you know, we run out of, we just run out of time. We can't embroider every single thing. So, you know, we do something like this with just, you know, purchase trim that we use. This is an interesting costume just because it, people just absolutely loved it. This is Claire's. not, yeah, I don't, this is my prop, this is one of my least favorite costumes. Really? Yeah. I love that one. Yeah, I, this one does nothing for me. It okay. was, it was again, one of those costumes where it was like, oh my God, she needs another costume. Um, I always, this is one of those places where I always want the hood up. I always want the hood up because a lady wouldn't, that, again, historical accuracy. A lady wouldn't walk around with her hood down, um, but uh, Kat has a hard time with things on her head a lot of the time. Uh, yeah, I hate this costume only, only, only uh, a bit less than I hate that one in that last episode, that brown ruched costume we really detest, but this one is, this one's okay. Can't love everything. I like his coat. But if, like her, his, if her hood was up, she'd have that beautiful frame around her face. I like his hat. And it'd be very, very period accurate. And that's because you want one of those hats. I would like to have his hat. You're not getting Why one. can't you make me one of his hats? Not going to happen. Because I can wear that to production meetings. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, that Those earrings are from Saks Fifth Avenue. <laughs> really? Yeah. They're by a company <laughs> Available called... Available for purchase now. Yes, I know. I'm speaking of sounding like game show hosts. All of her, almost all of her earrings came from Saks Fifth Avenue. Really? Uh, yes, shopped online by me from Scotland. And then I think you carted them over like a drug mule. I did. I think yeah. I, remember? I remember, yeah, there was various jewelry. Packages of jewelry. And I was like, where's my jewelry? There was various jewelry I 
package. Ron's always carrying jewelry and shoes. He's like, Ron doesn't, because, because he travels so much, he doesn't really bring suitcases because he's got clothes in Scotland and clothes here. And, um, well, because I'm brings, always trying not to check a bag. I know, but then he's always, oh, he's always having to carry suitcases like, full of shoes. I know. Like, like, remember when you would bring over like 30 pairs of shoes for cat? Oh, I had to bring over fabric at one point. Oh, yeah, me. you were bringing suitcases of fabric. Because my dream is I can just get on the plane without a check bag, Sorry. sail through immigration, and not have to deal with baggage. But no, oh, I'm going to have to carry 50 pounds of fabric for, for my wife. Well, but whose show is it? I don't know. It's yours. It's I do it for you. I do it all for you. You do it for Sony television. No, no, dear. I do it for you. Believe me. Shut up, Ella. No one's asked you. <laughs> That's Ella. Ella's way ahead. She's like, Dad. Uh, this scene... I do like her we, little purple mitts, though. Those are very nice. We went through a lot of changes on this scene in particular because there was a big question of how harsh Claire should be. Uh, to Alex, and it went through several different versions, and even Kat weighed in and kept playing around with how this was, because you were trying to figure out, uh, you know, there's a version of the scene that we wrote where she's really on his ass and really just going, well, what the hell are you thinking? Are you an idiot? Do you think that this is, in, you know, above your, don't you see that this is way above your station? There's no way you can support her. And then there's a version where she's really, like, being nice, well, maybe you should think about it, and I'm just saying... And we kept just trying to go all the way, the whole spectrum in between those ideas to try to find the exact right tone for how she could like basically be telling him that he's a fool if he pursues the thing with Mary and, and you know, and, and, and how far she would go in that, in service of that idea. One of the things we always talked about uh, in the writer's room was the use of the French language and how when characters would be in French and when they would be in English. Uh, the Count uh, Saint Germain was a, a really interesting case where we said the Count understands English perfectly, but he's not going to use it because he won't deign to lower himself to use the English language. So this was kind of a fun opportunity where Jamie, who speaks French, would not deign to speak French to the Count. And it's sort of on a subtle level, it's the two of them using their language to sort of you know assert dominance over the other. This is the same suit. I don't think I was... Was I there for the Master Raymond one? Yeah. This is the same suit that Saint Germain wore um, at Master Raymond's. It's just such a absolutely drop-dead, gorgeous, gorgeous piece. The embroidery on this is utterly phenomenal. I really need to get a post-up about this one very soon. The back of it is just staggeringly gorgeous. Um, but we, you know... We can we can do them again and hope that maybe we'll see more. Sam is actually in chocolate a chocolate brown coat and blue waistcoat there. That's as much color as we did for him. I don't I'm not crazy about it. He matches the walls. But the color is fantastic on him. Yeah, I love the color. The color is beautiful. But he matches the couch. It's really hard on this show. It's really hard when we, you know, Gary and I really set out to do a lot of color. And so then, yeah, you're fighting the lighting and the color. And then you got to be careful that the costumes don't match the sets. And then, but they can't go in contrast to the sets. So, you know. I miss Scotland. 
No, I mean, I miss Scotland on the show. I don't know, it's because of random. No, not I, me missing oh, I, like, I mean, what? I do miss Scotland terribly. But, but it's just, it's, it, it's simpler. It's, 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 when you have to do this, this much, this many costumes and these many sets, fabric becomes incredibly complicated. This is another just phenomenal robe of cats that um, I don't think we're ever going to see. Well, you know, it's interesting you say Missing Scotland because, you know, this entire scene, this set, Claire and Jamie's apartment in Paris is in our Scotland sound stages. Yeah. But uh, there was a feeling company-wide through the whole Paris storyline that we had left, that we had gone somewhere else. And it wasn't until we got, you know, to the point in the story where uh, they returned to Scotland that people started saying, oh, it's Outlander again. So when we were shooting all these scenes in the Paris apartment, it really did feel company-wide like the show had left and gone somewhere else, even though we were on the exact same sound stages. This is literally the same sound stage that we shot Castle Leac. This is the Great Hall. I mean, they're in the same physical space where we shot Castle Leac. This thing with the Apostle Spoons is the idea of Tony Graffia, uh, which figures into her, uh, her a subsequent script that she wrote. Um, but the Apostle Spoons was something that Tony pulled out of research and, you know, got very excited about and it was very sentimental and very romantic and beautiful and, you know, because Tony will find those things. She'll find these emotional uh, talismans yeah, for, for, for the show and she, she pulled this out and we, I said, oh, that's fantastic and lovely and beautiful and, and put, put it into this scene. Yeah, I like the fact that Jenny sent them sent them to Jamie. It's just a lovely little touch. It's very human. It's very emotional. It's very touching. Because Tony's such a softy. Tony is a softy. Tony cries almost as easily as I do. <laughs> I know. It is ridiculous. I really was riding the car yesterday, and I looked over, and Ron was crying. I'm not kidding you. <laughs> <laughs> because we drove past a schoolyard where little kids were having a carnival. Yes. And it made him cry because our children don't do that they're anymore. Because they're growing up. Yes, I'm the John Boehner of Outlander. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't have tears anymore. They've all dried up. <laughs> yeah. So Gary says, ooh, how'd you squeeze one of those out? <laughs> it takes a lot. A lot to make me cry. It must take a lot to make Gary cry. I can imagine. I've Gary. never seen Gary cry. I can't imagine Gary cry. Yeah, I don't cry. I throw things. So. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a similar emotion. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer throwing furniture to crying. Sure. Yeah. Your aim isn't very good, but that's what, I, I don't. That's when you're saving grace. Because I'm not aiming at you. I'm just trying to startle you. I'm not so I'm not, sure about that. I, but if uh, I'm throwing backwards away from you over my shoulder, I'm not aiming no, at you. No, I just think you. you're bad. You're just, oh, you just throw like a girl. You think, oh, really? Would you like me to aim at you a little better? I can <laughs> no, to prove okay. my point. No, no, that's okay. Oh, the gin and tonic tonight, by the way, is... Which I'm uh, not having. I know, I'm shocked. Is uh, Death's so Door and Q Tonic. That was nice a job by Richard, huh? Richard, uh, our uh, our visual effects producer, and there's Alicia, our co our co producer in um, in post, making her rare appearance on the set. This is a combination of the the first scene that you just saw there. The the the, the gardens were at uh, Drummond, 
And now we're at a completely different place in the name of this location I have lost. And I cannot recall. I would have known until you said that to me. Shit, I can't Okay, remember. so here we have Claire's dressage dress. Um, the controversial dressage dress. I, I love got, this I dress. This is Katrina's favorite dress. This is my favorite dress because I was there when Terry picked out the oh, fabric for this dress at uh, Brightex Bright in San Francisco, and I saw her spread it out on table and say, I'm going to make a dress from this. And Just like sure that. enough, she did. But it's interesting because this dress got released um, as a still way back during Droughtlander, and I got trounced for this fabric because, again, this was one of those things where... You know my my idea that we that Claire was sort of channeling the world in which she came from in her choices. That information had not been released, but the pictures all had, and so people were like, the costume designers clearly lost her mind. What the hell kind of fabric is that? Um, and and uh, it made a lot more sense once you see it in the context. There's people who still don't <laughs> like it, which is totally fair. I absolutely adore it. It's spectacular and gorgeous. And once again. Game show host says, if you go to terrydressback.com, you can see some really great examples of some pretty outrageous fabrics that they uh, did did use. But it does. This one reminds me of like 1940s curtain fabric. I think it's fabulous. This costume um, worn by Annalise is a reproduction of a costume I found online that I absolutely loved. Part of the reason I loved it because it's a great example of the kind of colors that were actually used. It, the, you know, we tried to recreate it as close as possible, including the colors. It's quite dramatic. It works really well with Claire's costume. I mean, she's holding her own here. Look at them. They're amazing. Fans of the book will note that um, the encounter between Blackjack Randall, Claire, and Jamie did not take place at Versailles. In the book, it took place at the Duke of Sandringham's house in Paris, which was also the place where Mary Hawkins was being sort of squirreled away. And Claire went there to see Mary, and she comes downstairs, and she ran... Hmm? Oh, I thought you had to stop. And she ran into uh, Blackjack in the hallway, and then Jamie came down, and then their encounter was in the hallway, and the, the challenge to the duel was issued there. Um, for TV purposes, I, I sort of thought that that wasn't visually dramatic enough. I didn't want to play the scene. Uh, visually in the in a hallway or really inside a house and when something bigger because it was a bigger dramatic moment in, in the, the life of the TV show and sort of felt that you know it, it called for something a, a, a bigger stage so we decided let's talk about Versailles and so he said let's go back to Versailles let's like reacquaint ourselves with, with King Louis and that whole world and work the Duke of Sandringham into that angle so then we started trying to figure out well why would Jamie go and so we came to this whole uh, idea of looking at horses for the Saint uh, Duke of Sandringham because that fit into Jamie's backstory and also the Duke's kind of uh, interest level. There was a when we first wrote the script when Richard first wrote the script, this was we kept calling uh, this was a dressage scene. Dressage is sort of a very elaborate sort of dance kind of presentation that horses are trained to do in competition, and we we're going to have a whole dressage kind of thing going on with horses and courtiers and you know people stablemen doing dressage and production quickly came back and said does it have to be dressage because that's going to take us 
forever oh, to shoot. Yeah. So, but ever since, it's it's still the dress is still known as the dressage. Dress, yeah, we right? just call it that. Even though there's no dressage left in the scene. I did want to get a chance to talk about Jamie's costume because so many people have asked about that. So hopefully everybody can remember that it was on a few minutes ago. Well, you're going to get back on, to on, Yes, I just never stopped talking. Notice, by the way, as they walk through those gardens, how beautifully they match. And can I just make one other note? I love the color yellow of those gloves. I think that was a bold move. I, we got Again, we got a lot of heat for that choice, but um, because people said it looked like... Um, Dish, dish gloves, which is... Because people are idiots. Because people are... Well, I didn't say that. You did. Yeah, because people are idiots. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I get tired of it. But um, but I really... I wasn't going to put her in pink, and I wasn't going to put her in white, and it would look horrible. And I really... The only thing I might have done is green, but I really, really loved the yellow. Anyway, there's Jack. But Jamie's coat... Well, I guess I should wait. He, yeah, will he'll be, be back soon. Will you let me talk? So Jamie's... Uh, so Jack's... Uh, uh, Meeting Jack in this context, I thought was really interesting because it's going to force us, you know, rather quickly to keep them sort of maintaining on a certain level. Uh, I kept feeling like what happened between coming up between Jack and Jamie one on one wasn't that interesting. You know, the first couple of versions of the script, uh, again, no judgment on, on Richard, was really about. You know, them kind of saying what you expected to say to each other. And so eventually I decided I was going to take a pass on it myself. And I came up with this idea of King Louis coming over and Jack having to sort of talk to Jamie uh, through Louis and Louis sort of forcing Jack to his knees and fucking with him because he's a British officer at the French court. Oh, that was yours? I, I like that. And, I, and essentially... France and Britain, yes, they are fighting a war somewhere else in Europe at this time. I think in Austria or something. And, but it's not total war like we think about. This is still this sort of odd, to our eyes, to our, our mindset, sort of odd 18th century idea of warfare where these countries would be at war with each other, but they would still sort of be polite to each other in another context. You know, I, if, if the only analogy I can think of is during the Cold War, with the Soviet Union, you know, they were fighting and killing each other sort of in Vietnam and Korea, but, you know, an American officer could still appear in, in, at the Kremlin or could still show up in Moscow. It wasn't completely out of the question for these sides to kind of, like, deal with each other in different diplomatic ways. So the idea of a British officer showing up in Versailles was not completely out of the question, and I like the idea that when a British officer showed up at Versailles, Louis would sort of start to screw with him and to fuck with him and that once he picked up on the idea that Claire and Jamie did not like Jack Randall, that he would then try to find some way to humiliate him. That starts with his pronunciation of, of the French language and then moves on to making Jack actually f forcing the man to his knees. Obviously he has a new uniform. Yes, I love this. I really, 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 really love this. Yeah, I like this uniform, the dress uniform, the, the court uniform as well. Yeah, were. it's really quite wonderful. Um, and, you know, Tobias had a lot to say about sort of, we, I talked with Tobias extensively about um, Jack's attitude here, and, and we both talked about the fact that Jack has gotten everything he wants from Jamie in season one. He broke the man, he, he got everything he could possibly want from Jamie, and so when he runs into them now, that his attitude would be lighter, and he'd be like, wow, how crazy is it that the universe has put us together? Isn't this an amazing thing? Oh, I need to talk about this. It's the first time we've seen this, right? Yeah. This is the king's um, 
This king's uniform was just really quite extraordinary. Um, that is a complete reproduction. Again, we like to do that. I think it really, especially when you're doing things like cat's dress right there, it's really nice to have it mixed among things that are really, really, really super authentic. So, um, well, I guess you could say it's super authentic because this was actually a reproduction of a costume that was given to Louis the Fifteenth by the King of Sweden. Oh, really? Yeah, and so we redid it, and we, it was just so spectacular. How could we not? But it was actually like uh, ten years past our story. Oh, uh, there was uh, actually Annalise, to go back to that for a second, Annalise wasn't originally in the script. It was actually the king's wife, the queen yeah. whose name I cannot pronounce. Remember, it was a Polish queen, and we threw it in the script, and there was this giant pushback from the costume. It was like, what? Make a dress for the queen? There's no way. We had so many costumes. We had so many costumes and big, huge, enormous, complicated, time-consuming dresses and costumes, not just dresses. Look at his costume. That took like, uh, I don't even remember how long that took, six weeks to make that costume. So you, when you start adding in the queen, that becomes even another enormously complicated gown. And we just, you know, it's physics at a certain point. You can only do so much. But the details on this costume are quite remarkable. Every, there's embroidery, there's that fleur de lis on the red. We printed that on there. Um, the, just the braid alone. There's little tiny fleur-de-lis um, embroidered around on the costume. It, it's meticulous detail, as uh, it is with everybody's. One thing that I'm not quite happy with in this scene was uh, an idea that I really wanted that just didn't come through when all was said and done. You see Jamie is approaching back there so in, the, in, the back, in the background of the shot. I really wanted close-ups of Jamie and him reaching for his sword as he stepped forward because I really wanted to play the idea of whether he was going to draw on Jack. You know, see, you have that matching shot of Jack reaching for his sword, but I really wanted pieces of Jamie coming up and the, the audience wondering, is he going to draw on Jack or not? And that didn't really come through. Um, this coat, which unfortunately you can't see as well as you could earlier, um, is a remarkable, remarkable piece. It is, again... A piece that I'd found um, in research, a grainy, grainy black and white picture of an 18th century hunting coat um, with embossed uh, pattern going around the edges. And it was embossed with a floral leaf print. And I thought how wonderful it would be to do a stag hunt, uh, something very, very Jamie and very Scottish. Uh, it was it was important to us that at this event that Jamie really feel like Jamie, and Sam really really loved the idea when I saw him this coat this showed him this coat he just really lost it it's it's a it's a it's a gorgeous piece you said you wanted us to uh, continue to use it we have yeah. to figure out how to do that it well, is, you should keep using it it's really quite amazing it's hard to see the details on it because you shouldn't see the details on this really you can't do a close up on you know embossed leather. Um, I'll, I'll definitely put a blog on go. it, but you can you see, see it, it right there. there. You can see there's a deer leaping across his left shoulder. And then we we gave it, because it was going to Versailles, we didn't want it to be too plain. We did a really quick silver stitch around the edge, just to you can see it, and around the edge of the buttons, the handmade buttons. Again, everything takes an incredibly long amount of time.
And no one's pleased to see that happen. I love the way Louie plays this. He's so great. He's so good. Not now. I think it's, this is the only moment of humiliation for Jack Randall in the, yeah. in the story. Claire humiliates him every time she talks to him. Well, there's that. <laughs> yeah, well, Cat does that. She's just so good at that. See... Anyway, when you watch it for the fifth time, you can see it. You know that, see that brooch? I think we paid a dollar for that. Really? On eBay. There was a lot of, yeah, a lot of our jewelry is, um, oh, there's a nice shot of it. Yeah, I think that brooch, you know, you got to find, you got to somehow figure out how to get jewelry the king would wear and a lot of stuff sort of reproduced in the 50s and 60s. This is one of the things that I, I, I just kept insisting on that I did not want to go over and hear the conversation between Jack and Jamie. I wanted to stay in Claire's point of view, shoot this on a long lens and that you weren't quite sure what the hell these two men say, said to each other so that when, so there was something to reveal when he finally walks back. Oh, and one other note about Claire's gown. A lot of people have asked me about the lacing going on the sides. That is because we ran out of fabric. <laughs> we didn't have enough fabric to do the costume the way we wanted to. We pieced it together. And there were 50 million conversations about the damn baby bump. And we didn't know where it was going to end up. So I, I said, you know what? We're going to put side lacings down this so that in case they decide to go with a bigger baby bump, we can just let it out a bit. Now, why did you opt to put Jamie in the kilt at this scene as opposed to uh, the trues? Because again, we, this was a place where we, we felt it, it, it was really appropriate for him to be very Scottish. Again, like the coat, we wanted to um, have him really represent his country here, the way an ambassador from another country would. You know what I mean? That there is, they are going there not as, as uh, as French, they are going there as the English, as, as the Scottish English, Jesus. One of the little things that Gary Steele always tortured me about a little bit was that this courtyard was not literally big enough to turn the carriage around in. He really so wanted you to do that. You never, he always wanted it to be bigger and we just couldn't for budget reasons. So Claire, you know, she pulls in and she says, take me to the Bastille. And we always cut before you would see that they would, there was no way that that carriage could actually turn around in that courtyard. Oh, there's Sam's boots. Everybody's in love with Sam's boots. Um, it, again, those are based on actual boots. You know, we know we wanted him. I don't know why he always does that with the kilt. Um, we really, really wanted to have Sam in boots. We wanted to continue that feeling from um, Scotland. And yet it was going to be wrong unless we found an eight, uh, French version. That took weeks of research, but I finally found a few pairs of boots worn by royalty uh, and some very incredible paintings. I did a piece about it over on the, on the blog, terrydressback.com. I keep saying that like it's a commercial. But you can see the close-ups of them. They're really quite gorgeous. This waistcoat is a very, very funny story. Was that We'd worked so hard on that coat and on her gown and Louie and Annalise. I'm not kidding you, the day before shooting we realized 
that we didn't have a waistcoat for him. And then we thought, oh my God, we don't have breeches, because I forgot that we were going to use the kilt here. And we had this panicked overnight making of a waistcoat and breeches to go with the coat. And then we went, oh wait, we were going to do the kilt here, but we still need a waistcoat. It's funny, you don't usually... You don't usually miss things like that. It was very unnerving and made us all very edgy when you have this many, you're making this, this much stuff that you might miss something. You know, that you might forget to make a costume and then you do. Scary. Uh, this scene is drawn largely from the book. We really tried to use as much of the dialogue of this, of this epic fight uh, as we possibly could in, in the scene. Uh, it's a great just performance. There's something really amazing when we really let Kat and Sam go at it in scenes, you know, when you really unleash them. They really dig down deep. I mean, I they remember, do. you know, the fight that they had in you know, 109 first season and then this fight. When they're really emotional and they're really heartfelt and they really passionately believe in, in their positions... These two actors can really take you places. Well, they know each other really, so well by now, and they're yeah, so, and they're they're so mature, and they're, they they understand their relationship, and they've worked together yeah. now for a couple of years, and you just and really you see how they have really become these characters in such an inhabited and in such a deep and believable way. It's really quite amazing. Um, a lot of people have written. I think it was in reviews and various things. And talked about how selfish Claire is here. I remember this scene really well from the book. It never struck me as selfish. It, it struck me as time travel. You know, how you change the future or don't change the future. And yeah, would, I get would it, she though. Be there? Her, I get it. It's her selfish, because it's her desire to save the man that matters to her in the future. Because they're changing an awful lot of the future, and they're trying to. But would she be there if... Yeah, it's all arguable. For, I guess. I, mean? I guess emotionally in this scene, I identify with Jamie. In, oh yeah. I'm I'm with him. I'm like really, after all. No, this? I agree. It, no, that part I agree. In real life terms, that's it's asking a lot. Oh, it's but asking isn't that the so point? Much. It is. is. That it's re- but I don't I don't see it as selfish because I think she knows. Yeah, I think selfish is a hard word. I'm I not do. sure it's selfish, I think but she it. Knows. I have I I sympathize with him more than her somehow. Well, but then again. What's she supposed to do? Put that aside because she doesn't want to ask him of yeah. this? I'd ask you. No, it's, even it's a legitimate... how hard it would be. It's a legitimate fight. I mean, it's... it's, a, it's, it's And a I mean fight. that in terms of... Well, it is. It's a legitimate fight between two people who are holding you know, le- legitimate points of view. Because she needs something from him that he doesn't want to give. But... Now, at the end of the scene, in the book, he puts his hand through a stained glass window. Oh, yeah. We did talk about it in the writer's room, and I think we might have scripted that at one point. I don't really remember. Maybe but the costume designer said, no more bandages? No, I just, I thought that, you know, that's, that's like a classic illustration of the difference between the page and the screen. It was like, when you read it on the page, it really, really works, and I just sort of intuitively thought, if you saw it on the screen, it would feel too much. It, it wouldn't really ring true. So... It's just one of those differences, again, that we're always wrestling with between, you know, the written word and the, and the filmed the, the, the filmed version of the page. And I, I just said, no, if at the end of the scene, if Jamie literally 
put his hand through the window and we had the big crash and all the glass falling. It just felt like it was going to be gilding it and it would take away from the emotional uh, content that you had been uh, witnessing between the two actors. He's so good. Sam is so good in the scene. I know. He's really just, he's just, he's just, it's an amazing performance. It really is. He's just on it. He's on her. He's he's not he's not cutting her any slack, and he shouldn't. And it's just great. Yes. And look at her. I know. They're just great. I mean, these two these two are the show. It's just really something. No, they are everything, aren't they? They're they're the show. They're the story. I mean, it's it's from the page. It's a perfect embodiment of the idea of the of the written word. It's, it's like these two characters brought to life by these two actors. Yeah. Nice. Nice work. Yeah, it's good. Sets it aside. I love that. The do not touch me thing is so powerful given the history of these two characters and how much you've identified with them. Well, there is that place when you're in a fight where you're having an argument where it's like one, one, one person may be ready, as you know, to move <laughs> on and the other one is like, oh, I need a little time here with this. That would be usually me. Yeah, I wasn't going <laughs> to identify who those players were, but now that you have. Ron's like, okay, we're done now. Yeah, and I'm like, no, okay, not can we move so on? fast, Junior. <laughs> All right. Well, there you have it. Uh, thank you for joining us for episode 205. Uh, we will join you again very soon. Uh, I'm Ronald D. Moore. See how I dress back. And saying good night and good luck. And the cats. Meow. Meow. There. <laughs>